AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. The protests in China are front and center in the commodity markets this morning. As traders attempt to figure out what the unrest and the world's biggest users of commodities means for the markets going forward. So far, it may be the hog market that is showing the biggest negative response to what's happening in China. Live from Cyber Monday via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we hear from Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. Then we talk with Tanner Bamer, Senior Director of Government Affairs at NCBA. After the news with Michelle Rook, we'll get a weather update from Brett Waltz at BAM WX. I'm producer Big Apple Joe Stackler, and now, the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. <laughs> All right. Jeez, Joe, I was wondering if we were going to get there or not, but we I knew. Like to you build got the us suspense. there. Yes. Yeah, uh, yes, you do. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. Michelle Rook, how are you this morning? Oh, not too bad. How was your Thanksgiving? It was really nice, really good. Spent time with family and friends, had some visitors over the weekend. That was that was really cool. And uh, got some got some much needed work done around the house. I now have a wood stock for the for the furnace here in the house. Oh, I, I do. feel pretty good about that. Well, that sounds good. You're not a you don't have one of those corn burners then. No. No, not at uh, not not at this price. No, huh? not at seven dollar corn, right? <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. You know, so as soon as I said that about the hog market, maybe responding the most to what's going it on, it came in China, up its lows, right? Yeah, well, it started it, pushing higher. <laughs> it, it, the, the 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 thing about the hog market is the way that thing is trading right now. I don't know if you can point at any one thing at any given time. And say, yep, that's what's going on in hogs today. So. No, I've kind of thrown up my hands because the days when we hear of record cases of COVID in China, those are the days the market goes the opposite yeah. direction. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, hogs will be hogs, right? Yeah. Hogs will be hogs. The crude oil market has come up off the lows. The The January contract, uh, WTI, was trading down in the low $74 range. And now here we are at about 75 and a half. So, that market uh, is kind of bouncing all over the place. I think that's probably going to keep everything on edge as we go forward. Right. All right. We need to leave a little bit of time for Brett uh, at the end of the segment. So let's go ahead and get to the news. What do you got? Well, those unprecedented protests that you talked about against China's strict COVID lockdowns erupted across the country during the weekend, including in Shanghai and Beijing and dozens of university campuses. The civil unrest in China was reflected in the global marketplace and crude oil tumbling. Case numbers continued to hit record highs over 40,000 new infections were recorded on Monday, but no new protests, at least today. Uh, China's central bank, meanwhile, cut its reserve requirement ratio by a quarter basis or a 25 basis point drop, freeing up about $70 billion in liquidity to support the economy. 
Meanwhile, the U.S. gave Chevron a limited license to expand its energy operations in Venezuela over the weekend. It had been forced to stop after sanctions halted all drilling activities almost three years ago. Speaking of oil, OPEC and its allies are due to make a big call on oil production this week with talk of increases as expanded sanctions are set to strike Russia's energy industry. And this morning, the U.S. sold about 4 million bushels of soybeans to unknown destinations for this marketing year. And in other export news, exports of Ukraine grain will not reach 3 million metric tons for November as Russia tries to limit ship inspections at ports. That would be down from about 4.2 million metric tons that left Ukrainian ports in October. And meanwhile, Ukraine's president... uh, Vladimir Zelensky announced over the weekend a new effort to send about 60 ships of grain to Africa. The U.S., France, U.K., Sweden, Austria, and Canada have all said they will commit about $70 million of financial resources to that effort. And Argentina is reviving their soy dollar exchange rate through the end of the year to increase exports and bolster its international currency reserves to meet their debt payments. The 230 peso per U.S. dollar exchange rate for soybeans and soy products starts today. And Congress returns from Thanksgiving with a focus on trying to pass a spending measure for fiscal year 2023, which began October 1st. The current continuing resolution runs through December 16th. Despite some talk to the contrary, no agreement appears to be near. How many CRs have we had now, Chip? I I think... I quit counting. Yeah, I, I, I did, too. And Wiesmeyer and I talked about this this morning on uh, DC Signal to Noise, the podcast that I do with Jim every Monday morning. And, um, you know, Jim typically is a fairly optimistic guy, even for being in DC for as long as he has been. And he's just disgusted by this whole process uh, when it when it comes to spending and, and de- deciding on the what the spending bill is going to look like. We got to remember, they've had a more than a year yeah. to get this done. And now we're in a lame duck, so that doesn't make yeah. anything any easier, does it? That's right. That's right. Uh, there will be several key economic focal points this week as well, including a speech by Fed Chair Jerome Powell and the second estimate of the U.S. third quarter GDP, both of which will come Wednesday and Friday. We have the employment data for November, all things that the Fed is going to be kind of watching here as we go into December. Yeah. You know, Michelle, when you do the market reports, Powell probably comes or does come up uh, quite often. He's become kind of a tough guy to read, hasn't he? Well, what he says in the minutes and what he says publicly, sometimes those don't match. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, boy, he talks real hawkish. And then those minutes showed up, I wouldn't say dovish, but... Not nearly as hawkish as, as what he talks about. All right, Michelle, okay, thank thanks. you so much for helping us this Talk week. To you really this appreciate afternoon. it. You bet. Davis is going to be out this week and uh, spending some time with family and friends. All right, uh, let's bring in Brett Waltz, BAMWX.com. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Chip. How are you? Good. Looks like we've got a disturbance in the middle of the country coming this week. Yeah, it's going to be a, a pretty wild setup really over the next couple of days. A, a strong low pressure system developing really kind of right towards your neck of the woods. Snow across parts of northern Iowa into parts of Minnesota, three to six inches really from Sioux Falls to Minneapolis. Um, and then on the south side of the system, we're looking at a, a pretty decent severe weather outbreak from Louisiana to parts of Tennessee. 
several tornadoes possible with that as we work into tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow evening. So uh, certainly a big one. Yeah, Brett, on one of the weather uh, forecasts that I saw this morning, they, they used a phrase that concerns me every time I, I hear it, and that is long track uh, severe storms, yeah. long track yeah. tornado risks. Those are the ones that build up and get big and strong and do a lot of damage. Yeah, those are the ones like we had in Kentucky December of last year. And yeah. to be honest, it may not be quite as an impressive of a setup as that, but it's close. Uh, it's definitely a, a dangerous setup. And I sometimes people can get caught off guard this time of the year, almost into the winter time. And so it's certainly very important for anybody from Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, even Alabama, Kentucky. Uh, those areas need to be on the lookout tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow evening for severe weather potential. Man, that that doesn't sound good at all to me. Okay, uh, real quick, give me just 20 seconds on what's going on down in South America. Yeah, so South America, uh, really still no major changes down there. Okay. Uh, Argentina and Southeast Brazil uh, looks like just looking at some of our top December analogs, we did some research this morning, uh, looks quite a bit drier than normal. I mean, we're looking at years like 2021 and 2017 that were dry down there. I think that's going okay. to continue to be an issue. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate you very much. Yep. We'll talk to you later. That's yep. Brad Waltz, BAMWX.com. We got Machine Repeat up next right here on Agritalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Machine Repeat here, folks. This segment of AgriTalk brought to you by our friends at Dakota Ag Innovations, makers of Dakota Shine, the best way I've seen to fix faded paint. Go to dakotashine.com or call 888-996-7801. All right, welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this morning. Davis Michelson's got the week off. He'll be back with us next week. Right now, let's bring in Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. Greg, welcome back to AgriTalk, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Um, still working off all that turkey stuffing, pumpkin yeah. pie, all that good stuff. But yeah, doing Atta well. boy. Atta boy. Yep. I, like I said to Michelle, I spent a little bit of time uh, cutting wood and splitting wood over the weekend trying to work that off mm-hmm. myself. But you know, it it just the leftovers keep adding it up. Yeah, and they they do. They yeah, do. but that's left. Hey, left doesn't get much better than good leftovers. Wow. Oh, that's fun yeah. Stuff. If if you if you do it right and treat them right, they can be as good as the 
as the first time through. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. got to watch out for it. All right, man. Uh, I love your pick of the week because of the history that you've got to go with it. it well, this is, this is a phenomenal story. Yeah, it's, I was enjoying some Thanksgiving leftovers Saturday afternoon, Chip. We were visiting our daughter out in Ohio, and in spirit, I was, of course, there and enjoying the family time, but also I was uh, in spirit out in Lenox, South Dakota. Our friends Westra Auction Land and Realty had a sale, an amazing John Deere tractor auction um, that I had done a, a YouTube preview walkthrough and a Machine Repeat podcast about. I knew the sale was going to be just crazy. But yeah, the pick of the week is I was having some more mashed potatoes and turkey uh, Saturday. They sold a 1992 John Deere 4255 two-wheel drive. Now, it was the last one ever made. And if that rings a bell, it it should, because I've actually done stories about it twice. It's sold previous at auction. And if we went back all the way to March of 11, so what, 11 and a half years ago, Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg, Iowa, at the time it had 1,850 hours on it, brought 72K. And that record stood like about 10 years. Uh, It got passed. We had one at 77 a couple of years ago, but the same tractor sold November of 19 in Lawler, Iowa. And it was up to 3,500, 25 hours, brought 60K. Okay. So this same tractor, the last 4,255 was up yep. for sale Saturday. And we know, we talk every week here how hot the market's been. It sold for $142,500. Yeah. And I had a, a friend at the sale uh, shooting some video and I posted that video Saturday afternoon on our YouTube channel. And, uh, Unbelievable. And that was only one of the head turning tractors on that auction, Lenox, South Dakota, Saturday chip. It was, yeah, it was just amazing. I mean, so Gary Peterson, um, the guy on that auction had six open station deer 40 and 50 series tractors. Now a couple highlights there. How about this? A 1982 John Deere 4040 hydraulic front wheel drive with a factory open station and restored. So obviously this thing I is saw that. rare and unique. And yep, oh, I yeah. posted a, a video of that selling yesterday, but coming into the sale, the highest auction price ever on a 4040 was 54,590. It was just back in May. And Saturday it sold for $102,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if you want to watch it sell folks, just go out to our machine repeat website click on the media and blog section. You can see a video of it. So that was one of Gary's tractors. He also had a 1983 4250 restored factory open station that brought 79,000 bucks, 24,500 over the record, just set back in March. He also, how about this one? A 1982 4440 factory open station power shift that brought $71,000 and for a 4040, I think it was just last week on the show, Chip, we had talked about the record 4440 November 17th out of Strawberry Point, Iowa at yeah. 72,000. Yep. So there you go. I've been doing this 33 years now, and the, the two highest 4440s ever sold in the last week. Yeah. So just, just incredible. Yep. You know, give me a little more of your take on that 924255. I mean, it was the last one made. How much did that contribute? to the it, it wasn't a doubling of the record price but pretty when close. you jump it from 77,000 up to 142.5 yeah. 
That's yeah. a unbelievable move. Well, it is. And here's the thing, I think. Um, and again, I, I know Gary Peterson, that wasn't Gary's tractor. He had a friend from Nebraska that brought in the other tractors, uh, a well-known John Deere collector tractor guy. Okay. But uh, okay. So it's the last serial number. That is a huge factor, but the, the day and age we live in now, it's, it doesn't really matter how good your stuff is. You, you, you have to promote it with every available tool. So uh, Joel Westra reached out and I was, I was honored to go out and do the, you know, the walkthrough video two, three weeks ahead of time. And then the podcast interview, talking to the owner. And then you factor in things like I've told people this for years, they would say, Hey, machine repeat, what's the best time of year to sell? Yep. Best time of year to sell is from about November 7th through about the week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that our data has screamed that for 20 years now with the IRS section 179. So when times are good, when farmers have money, you know, and again, it's, it's a very challenging time. I mean, input costs and everything, but if there's money, you come to the end of the year, just go to machinerypeat.com and look at the 900,000 auction prices and note what day it sold. It will scream off the page to you. So it was the perfect time of year. It, they did an awesome job promoting this sale in personal ways, you know, that we did like a 45 minute video, just walking through and there's yeah. Gary, you know, Hey, tell us about that. Yeah. So the old ways of promoting, they just aren't good enough anymore. You have to do these extra things when you do you now, not always, but when you do these things, this is what can happen where it's you worth almost, the effort. To, yeah. well, I, I put it this way to not do that effort frankly is a disservice to the seller and as and here's the thing as midwesterners in particular most of our listeners here we're not about saying look how good my stuff is that's not the deal but you have to find ways and and frankly what i've been doing 33 years i can't give the farm on it's enough so i'm always in the ear of our auctioneers and our dealer friends like hey don't be shy let me know about this stuff so i can shout it out and and then uh again Right now, people are aggressive. And of course, pre-def, pre-tier four, you know, people assume all this stuff was going to, you know, probably I'm sure the open stations were bought by collectors. But, yeah, you know, for example, on this sale also, how about this? They had an 03 John Deere 7710 mechanical front with about 6,400, almost 6,500 hours, 741 loader. It sells for 112. <laughs> the highest I've ever seen is 82.5. And that, that sale, that Tractor is just lost in the backwash of this sale. And I'll be posting yeah. folks another, another blog about this amazing sale Saturday, but that tractor, people say, well, that's crazy. It's not crazy because it's pre-deaf, pre-tier four. You can, yeah. you know, okay. it's bulletproof. There you go. So it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. 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 Do you want to talk about the Alice Chalmers sale or do you want to talk about what you're doing Monday? Uh, I need to throw in next Monday, folks. We have another okay. sale like this. It's actually, this is a sale by my friends at uh, Pauly Family Auction Services. I'm sure you've all seen it. The sales in Hamlin, Iowa, next Monday, December 5th. We'll be there filming for our Machinery PTV show. Cool. And uh, on the sale bill, it says largest, cleanest farm sale in Iowa. And it also says sale of the century. And they're not blowing smoke there. The equipment on this sale is outstanding. Great line of John Deere tractors. We got an 8120, 2700 and some hours, 8220, 
2675 hours, 8320, 8420, 8520, all pre def, pre tier four, clean, sharp. It's got some late model. It's got a John Deere 8400R with 1500 hours. It's got a pair of 2020 John Deere S770 combines with under 900 SEP hours. Uh, folks, if you want to check it out, go to denisonlivestock.com. And again, the sale, it's by Poly Auction, uh, Poly Family Auction Services. We'll be out there in Hamlin on Monday. Come on out to the sale. We're going to have a great time and, and film this clean stuff selling. It's going to be a good day. Okay. Well, now here's the deal. I was sitting here thinking to myself, you know what? I might be ready to say this feels like we're topping. And then you go and talk about this sale that's going to be in Hamlin. And I'm thinking to myself, "There's got, we've got new highs coming. Yeah, no doubt. Again, the supply chain issue on the new side, it's still problematic. And again, the, the key, the biggest issue of all folks is that dealers have never been this tight with inventory, nothing even close to it. So I, I'm afraid we, well, I say afraid for buyers, but I think we are going to go higher the rest of, of through the end of the year. And here's the thing. I thought the same thing last year. Once the calendar flipped, it's like, okay, it's got to cool off. It right. just went higher every month. So, Yeah. Wow. Wow. We'll, wow. We'll see. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, Greg, next time we talk, we need to talk about that AC sale. Of yeah, Nordstrom you bet. Style. Yeah, you we bet. need to. We need to highlight that for sure, for sure. Thanks, buddy. Have fun over at that sale. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, Chip. All right, that's Greg Peterson, Machine Repeat. We got Tanner Bamer from NCBA up next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady Beach. Uh, number one thing, welcome back. And number two thing, what the heck is wrong with wheat? Well, uh, a lot of it's got to do with uh, the China COVID stuff and, and concerns there. Obviously, that rattled markets overnight. And, and uh, wheat didn't really face that much pressure, to be honest with you, overnight. But uh, boy, we've gotten a daytime trade here and, and just continues to uh, fall. So um, can't get out of its own way right now, so to right. speak. And, and uh, really heavy pressure on uh, the winter wheat markets, less or so in, in spring wheat. Uh, but definitely having an influence on the corn market this morning. Uh, the market that is not having an impact is uh, soybeans or the soy complex. Uh, meal pushed to the upside initially, and uh, that helped uh, buy, bring some buyer interest into soybeans, as did a daily sale um, to unknown destinations. So a uh, little bit of uh, positive news there for the, uh, the soy complex here to kick off the week. Got you. All right, let's go on over to livestock trade. I said at the open of the show that 
maybe the hog market was reflecting the, the Chinese situation the most. Yeah, uh, at that and, and the seasonal pressure just continues. Yeah. The cash index continues to fall. And, and we anticipate that there will be a seasonal low soon. Um, but uh, boy, it's just not letting up. And, and so uh, when you add in those uh, Chinese concerns, uh, because you know the anticipation has been that uh, China will be a bigger buyer of U.S. pork as we move into right. 2023, um, boy, it's really putting heavy pressure on the market to open up the week. The cattle market uh, started out with a firmer tone, but uh, given the, the weakness in the uh, hog market, uh, it's turned lower. Even the feeder cattle are lower, along with the uh, weakness in the corn market this morning. All right. Thanks, Brian. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The truth is hard to come by these days, unless you listen to AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, just some eye-popping numbers from Machinery P. Greg Peterson. Uh, make sure that you check out his his social media posts uh it's at machinery pete on twitter uh, that'll get you linked into most of his uh, his social media posts but boy what happened last week at uh at that sale out in south dakota was really really something with uh, some new record prices on a, a long list of tractors reported Okay, let's have a conversation right now with Tanner Bamer. Tanner is the Senior Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Tanner, welcome back to AgriTalk. How are you? I'm doing well, Chip. Always a pleasure to join you. Good, good, good. You know, I was curious, and I thought having Tanner on somebody from NCBA after, uh, you know, coming out of Thanksgiving and everything, so... Does turkey stand a chance at the Beamer table or is it all beef? You know, uh, the Beamer table was a little bit thin on uh, Thanksgiving Day. It was just my wife and I. And uh, unfortunately for our friends in the turkey industry, the uh, <laughs> beef was at the center of our plate. We made some uh, filet mignons on cast iron and it was ooh. a wonderful eating experience. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, you know, the, here at the Flory Ranch, we move very quickly. We're going straight from... Uh, the Thanksgiving holiday into our first Christmas celebration coming up this next weekend. And yeah, that prime rib will be right in the middle of the table. So I'm looking forward hey, that's to that. What we, that's what we like to hear. Yeah, Christmas is definitely where beef dominates and uh, we are only just getting stronger in, in terms of consumer demand, which is a testament to the product we're putting on the table. Yep. 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 Um, it, you know, and, and it's been, in my generation that that move from turkey and ham on Thanksgiving, turkey and ham on Christmas has gone to turkey and ham on Thanksgiving and beef on Christmas. It's something that in my mind is, is still relatively new, but boy, what a, what a holiday it has turned into for beef, hasn't it? Boy, no kidding. And you know, I think a lot of that goes to the fact that 
you know, during COVID, prior to COVID, somewhere in the ballpark of 60% of domestic beef demand went to the food service sector. And obviously yeah. during COVID, restaurants weren't open. So a lot of consumers started to learn how to cook beef at home. Yeah. Uh, it's daunting to cook beef if you're not familiar with it, because it's pretty easy to screw up and it's not a very a pleasant eating experience. But as consumers have started to become more comfortable cooking beef at home, we've really seen our market share start to creep in on some of those other proteins at yeah. the center of the plate during major holidays. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Okay. Uh, we, we need to talk about the, the extension of the comment period for comments on the Packers and Stockyards Act. What exactly is going on here? Yeah, so this is a, a, a long-standing rulemaking series out of USDA. Your listeners might actually recognize this as the GYPSA rules, which is something NCBA has been involved with going back to the 2008 Farm Bill 14 years ago. Uh, that's the length of time we're talking about on this particular regulatory series. So USDA put out a proposed rule uh, a couple, uh, I guess at this point, it was about a month and a half ago, that looks at uh, further defining some of the terms under the Packers and Stockyards Act uh, in order to facilitate, in their mind, a more fair and transparent marketplace. The problem with that is that the way that they're going about defining some of those terms and approaching some of these highly complex nuances in the market actually would be pretty harmful to the way that we currently do business and, and leaves a lot more questions unanswered than it does answered. So uh, we were pleased to see an extension of the comment period. The, the rule that they posted uh, that we're talking about here is takes up 180 pages in the federal register it asks 44 specific questions to potential commenters and covers over 14 years of regulatory history and over 100 years of legislative and judicial history since the packers and stockyards act was originally passed in 1921. so there's a lot to unpack here uh, the agency originally only gave us 60 days to do that and that just flat out was not enough time so we worked with our partners on the hill uh, and throughout the livestock community in dc to uh, advocate for an extension. We asked for a much longer one that we got, but we will take that additional 45 extra days to try and uh, build a robust set of comments that are uh, taking into account all of the nuances at play here. Tanner, why is this such a complicated issue? You know, they, they really want to look at uh, why the, the marketplace functions the way that it does. And, you know, you can ask almost any economist, um, it's specifically agriculture economists, what the most complex marketplaces are. And I would venture to guess that most of them would tell you that it's the cattle market. I mean, there are yeah. so many different ways to differentiate value between pens of cattle and cuts of beef. There's a lot of information that goes into it. And because of that, individual producers have carved out for themselves what works for their unique business model and unique operation. And that doesn't necessarily look the same from region to region or from place to place or, or even segment of the industry versus other segments. You know, a stalker is going to market much different than a cow-calf producer is. And I think that that's why coming up with rules that are inherently designed to be one size fits all don't work for an industry like the cattle industry where uh, those that are involved in the industry to the extent that they derive the vast majority, if not their sole income from the business of raising cattle, they've carved out these niches for themselves because it works for them and they're producing a product that consumers are demanding. And as we talked about earlier, enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was about a year ago, roughly, that USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack was on kind of a big push saying, listen, we're we're going to pursue a vigorous enforcement of the Packers and Stockyard Act. 
Now, when he was on Agri Talk, I asked him, "What exactly does that look like? What does that What does that mean?" Really, didn't get a solid answer to it. What would that mean if there was vigorous enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards? Well, you know, in, in our minds, uh, that would involve uh, plussing up some of the funding to the Packers and Stockyards division. You know, we, we've talked a lot about this bill in Congress that would create a special investigator office at USDA yeah. to, to prosecute Packers and Stockyards cases. But NCBA's position is such an agency already exists. It's the Packers and Stockyards division, and it's been around in some form or fashion for over 100 years. But that agency is 40% underfunded. 50% understaffed, and uh, they really need uh, more robust resources in order to get through the caseload that is brought to them. So we can start with very, uh, very pragmatic approaches that don't require new legislation and probably aren't going to make the headlines in the same way that some of these other flashy rulemakings do, but it would address the root issue that they're trying to get at, which is how do we ensure that the Packers and Stockyards Act is uh, truly ensuring fairness in the marketplace? And we can start just by, like I said, making sure that the agency charged with enforcing the act is adequately funded and adequately staffed. Okay. Okay. So 45-day extension on this. What's the process after the, the comment period closes? Well, once the comment period closes, uh, and NCBA will be submitting pretty detailed technical comments to that docket, but once the comment period closes, uh, the agency will review all the comments that they receive, and then will most likely move forward with putting out a final rule, uh, which would probably at the earliest come sometime next year. Um, we, in the meantime, we are continuing to engage with our, uh, our allies in Congress. We actually worked with uh, other members of the livestock community, like the Pork Producers Council, the Chicken Council, and the Turkey Federation, among others, uh, to get a congressional letter sent to USDA requesting an extension. And we actually ended up getting over 100 bipartisan signatures on that letter in the House of Representatives. So there's a lot of interest on Capitol Hill in making sure that these regulations are not detrimental to the way that we do business in the cattle markets. And we'll continue to work with our allies in the Hill uh, to try and influence this process in a way that uh, safeguards producers' ability to utilize marketing arrangements that allow them to capture more value for their products while also ensuring fairness and transparency within the livestock space. Okay. Okay. Uh, Tanner, we got some good news from Japan just last week, right? Uh, we did. Uh, Kent Backus is our senior director, or excuse me, our executive director yeah. that handles uh, all of our trade issues, and he could probably talk to you a little bit more about that. But the Japanese market is incredibly important to us. Um, we've seen the uh, the role of the Japanese market diminish only slightly with the phase one agreement with China, but obviously they're having some issues uh, in country with uh, COVID problems. So the Japanese market, I, I, I don't think that it's uh, over the top to say it is still a very critical market for us in Southeast Asia and in the Pacific Rim. Uh, they, they love their beef. They love that American yep. beef. And uh, we always love to see good ties with uh, with the Japanese. Yep, yep. And Tanner, I apologize for jumping, you know, for uh, surprising you with that one. But the the press release, and I'm looking at, at the NCBA press release here, the Upper House of Japan's Diet or Parliament, Congress, approved the protocol amending the trade agreement between Japan and the United States of America regarding the beef safeguard mechanism under the U.S.-Japan trade agreement. So this is very very good news it it gets us as i understand it it gets us 
basically on equal footing with uh, with Australia on beef getting into Japan. And if that is the case, that market that we've worked so hard to develop over the years is is going to be open to us even more so in the, in the months uh, and years going forward. So this is really, really good news. I, I think it's uh, something that's going to help us out quite a bit going forward. All right? Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Tanner, hey, thank you so much for the update on the Packers and Stockyards situation. And uh, keep us up to speed on what's going on there because, boy, there's a, a huge amount of interest out there in the in the marketplace. And I've got Senator Grassley on the show on Wednesday morning. I'm going to be sure to ask him about it as well. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you, Chip. All right. That is Tanner Bamer, Senior Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I'll be back to wrap up this morning's AgriTalk in a moment. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Good conversation there with Tanner about what's going on with the uh, comment period on the Packers and Stockyard Act. Uh, final rules. And, and uh, boy, it, it, talk about an issue that has been uh, a, a topic of discussion for too long. <laughs> we, we need to get things settled and, and move forward beyond this. We'll, as I said to Tanner, we'll get Senator Grassley's take on that um, at, on Wednesday morning here on AgriTalk. Hey, let's go ahead and make time for this Yields in the Field. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. All right. Uh, this one made the rounds on social media at the end of last week. It's the yield estimates from Grow Intelligence. Their models project a national average corn yield of 169.8 bushels per acre. That compares to USDA's November yield estimate of 172.3 bushels per acre. So kind of a widespread there. Don't forget, we, we get a WASD update in December, but we do not get a crop estimate update until we get to the January annual production summary. 
Grow Intelligence uh, puts the national average bean yield at 48.9 bushels per acre. That compares to USDA's November yield estimate of 50.2 bushels per acre. Uh, In November, USDA went up on its corn yield and its national average bean yield. Grow Intelligence suggests that maybe that was a move in the wrong direction. Yields in the field is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic. Okay, uh, at the start of the show, we talked about this briefly with Michelle Rook, that Congress is working on dealing with the continuing resolution, the spending bill, and trying to figure out exactly how that is going to be handled. Uh, I mentioned that we talked about that with Jim Wiesmeyer on Signal to Noise this morning. So check that out for the conversation there. But there's some other things that that have been getting kicked down the road. Um, even some court-ordered deadlines have been extended. And one of those deadlines is coming up on Wednesday. And that's when EPA must make the announcement. And, and they can do it before then. I doubt if they will. But they can make the announcement of what the renewable volume obligations are going to be or the blending rates on the renewable fuels standard and and we're the the reason that this one is so important is because it's the reset it it's the rfs reset when all of the sudden uh epa instead of the rfs has even greater influence on what the blending rates are going to be and and i talked about this with jim this morning but epa administrator michael regan has been favorable in his comments toward um, uh, the biofuels and the blending rates. And so far, so far, this EPA has backed it up with action, which is encouraging. Now, the question with, with this is, is it backed up once more with, with action and what are, what might be considered, you know, good uh, blending rates and, and 15 billion gallons of, of conventional ethanol. That's what we're looking for in the mix going forward. Everything that the RFS um, provided by law to provide the incentive to the industry to go ahead and build it up to 15 billion gallons. And it's gone past that because of exports, but the domestic market, it, the the U.S. ethanol industry is more than ready for 15 billion gallons of conventional ethanol to be used. Now, that process is being examined and looked at all of the time, including including the potential to move CO2 away from the ethanol facilities, the producers, via pipeline, to areas that have the uh, geology to stick that CO2 underground and lock it up permanently. It's a very controversial process or proposal with Summit Pipeline, Navigator Pipeline out there. We're going to have a representative from Navigator on the show tomorrow. So if you've got any questions that you would like me to ask of the navigator pipeline co2 pipeline representatives send them my way host at agritalk.com i'd love to get those questions 
so much of the 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 concern or the controversy uh number one is around the right away uh, you know how does how does summit how does navigator get the right away on the land and then the safety issues of of transporting co2 by pipeline and and so on so we're we will be discussing all of that tomorrow with elizabeth Byrne thompson uh looking forward to that conversation um the other issue that that Jim and I talked about this morning, I think it's interesting because we've got some supermarkets that are considering a merger. It's Kroger and Albertsons, and there there is going to be a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Competition Policy Antitrust and Consumer Rights meeting on Wednesday. The subcommittee chairman is Amy Klobuchar, the Democrat from Minnesota, uh, and and there will be others involved in the uh, in the hearing as well. But there are some Democrats that have written to the Federal Trade Commission to review the merger, saying that it it raised considerable antitrust concerns. So. A lot of ground that needs to be covered this week, and, and this potential merger of grocers, I think, is very interesting and can give us a little bit of insight into where future legislation might be headed. Might be headed. Okay, thank you so much for listening this morning. You got to come back this afternoon. We've got Tommy Grisafi from Advanced Trading, and as I mentioned, Elizabeth Burns Thompson with the Navigator CO2 pipeline tomorrow morning right here on Agritalk. FM on radio.